Hey everyone, if you're a fan of the show, please head over to MikeyOp.com and click the subscribe button. It's the best way to support us, and it's free. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com. Thanks. Hi, I'm Mike Oppenheim, and you're listening to Coffin Talk, exit interviews with the living, a weekly podcast that explores how our views on death affect the way we live our life. And today I have the honor of interviewing someone who I've had a long time correspondence with but have never actually spoken with before, and that's Miss Mary Floyd from Mrs. Mary Floyd from Atlanta, Georgia. So welcome, Mary. How are you? I'm well, Mike. It's so good to hear your voice. Yeah, likewise. Um, and I knew you were from it's the South. It's a novelty. Yeah, but I love your uh, Southern accent. It's beautiful. Um, so, And you are, I think, our first official guest from the South, so that's also cool. But, oh, wow. <laughs> but, very, um, very cool. More importantly, I think uh, the reason I wanted to interview you is that in our correspondence, you've often mentioned a lot of the lessons you've learned through life and a lot of... Um, just your great, great attitude about life change and the traumas and tribulations of it. So I know that your background, you have like a ton of volunteer experience as well as being a Stephen minister and other things. So I plan to ask you about a lot of these things. But first, I have a standard question I always ask, which is um, how old are you? Where did you grow up? And what generation do you consider yourself from? I am 70 years old. I grew up basically on the East Coast from New York to Florida to Georgia. <clears throat> and I consider myself really a baby boomer. Great. I was born in 1951. <laughs> awesome. Pretty standard. Um, so mm -hmm. uh, at what age did you end up uh, moving permanently to Atlanta? I think I was about, I'm going to say 16. Okay. Let's say 16, yeah. So I've been here a bit. Awesome. <laughs> so do you prefer it down there, or have you ever thought of moving? Oh, I have often thought about moving because Atlanta is just... It's too much. <laughs> <laughs> it's crowded. It's busy. It's pushy. It's it's like any other big city. Yeah. And it just it's just overwhelming sometimes. So yeah. <laughs> it's actually the only major city in America that I've never spent time in, and it's just because it's like a crossroad I go through. But yeah, um, <laughs> you're my only friend there. So, but back to you. So I think the first question I want to ask you is just to start with what it means to be a Stephen minister and um, what denomination that's from and how religion works in your life. So, uh, be Becoming a Stephen minister was sort of a natural segue from what I was doing anyway in my life, which is to listen to people as they unburden themselves and not to judge them as they unburden themselves. Yeah, you can't help it, but you can't help but think certain things as people are telling you their sagas. But the whole point of the Stephen ministry thing was to be non-judgmental and just be a cup of cold water for that person. And it, I think because of my experience with dealing with my mother's death and my in-law's deaths and other people in my life, it was, I, I was always there to be of whatever comfort I could. And so becoming a Stephen minister, as I said, was sort of a natural segue. Um, the de denomination is the Episcopalian Church. Um, and it was interesting to me to see aging people in action for a change, because I lost my mother when she was 69. Mm. So, um, But anyway, yeah, that's, that's the, the long and the short of it. Wow. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. So I think my first question is, um, 
what can you explain to our audience the difference or what it means to be Episcopalian as opposed to like Protestant, Lutheran, that kind of stuff? Uh, it's formality. Okay. It's it's simply um, rituals that are different. We all believe in the same uh, Godhead as as it is. Um, it's it's just we are Episcopalians are basically Catholics, but we're allowed to drink and get divorced. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, the the old joke is <laughs> with Episcopalians where you find four you'll find a fifth <laughs> that's hilarious <laughs> um, I think our younger audience wouldn't know what a fifth is so that's an alcohol joke um, which is very good actually <laughs> um, that's really cool I like that and I'm, I was raised um, somewhat Jewish but kind of like not really denominational so I've always wondered about these when I drive on roads, you know, I'll see like Episcopalian, Lutheran, and I never mm-hmm. quite understand. So that's cool to know. Um, I think the Luther- the Lutherans are a, a bit more staunch in their protocols and their etiquettes, uh, whereas the Episcopalians have the, the Episcopalian Church is not even recognizable anymore. Not not from what I grew up in. Wow. Um, they've lost they've lost a lot of their attendance um, over the years because they have vacillated between their dogma and what is popular. Ah. So that's, that's a, it's really interesting to, to watch the, the evolution of any religion, but especially one that is banked on certain premises that you don't feel that should be eradicated or even eroded. That's really interesting. And actually, I think I feel very comfortable asking you this. I wouldn't normally ask someone, but identity politics is like a huge part of our culture in America today, w- would you say that your identity is like strong with religion or is it more with the spiritual side of religion? I am extraordinarily spiritual mm-hmm. and I am not, <clears throat> I'm not a devout anything. I tend to keep an open mind, which is the way I was raised. My mother taught us to question everything, awesome. including religion. And um, there are certain things in the Christian faith that I, I don't believe in. And there are certain things that I am pretty intractable on. Um, so I, I kind of dance that fine line of, where am I? And if push came to shove, as it has right now, I, <laughs> I, would, I would call myself a spiritual person instead of a religious one. Yeah, and I think this podcast was birthed in the year of COVID, and it's kind of um, become a project where I'm just trying to remind people that you don't have to be affiliated to anything specific to be spiritual. And so it's wonderful to have a guest like you. Um, as a Stephen minister, like what is a one or two of your most extraordinary experiences? Because I love this idea. I mean, I quoted you a cup of cold water. I think that's one of the most beautiful phrases, but listening to people as they unburden themselves, that's a great job. And it, you know, it's unlike a psychologist who then gives help. You just listen. So can you give us some taste of that? I had the privilege of <laughs> of escorting a lovely elderly woman through her uh, recovery, actually, from a bad fall. And she, 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 she was just delightful. She, she was funny. She was savvy. But she was mostly funny. Mm. She maintained her sense of humor, and she was in her 90s. Wow. And... When when her daughter moved her away, it just kind of broke my heart because I wasn't able to say goodbye to her. Um, but she did take with her the little 
fake Christmas tree that I got her, which she loved. Um, but it was just, it was watching, it was watching her strength that was truly inspiring. It was, she never lost her sense of humor. And I think humor is what carries human beings forward, regardless of their situation. Wow, that's really, really great. Um, and so kind of related to all this, um, I know you have children. The reason I actually know you is because I met your daughter in Oakland, California. Um, she made me coffee pretty much every day for like half a year, I think. Um, and uh, so you have other children though, right? I have a son, okay. yes. Um, and so I'm just curious, have you ever employed your listening strategy with them or does that backfire with your own kids? Because I would imagine it would backfire, so that's why I'm asking. Um, I have. I, I've, but it, it's, it, that's maternal. That's that has nothing to do with Stephen ministry or religion or anything other than the maternal need to comprehend what your children are saying and doing and going through in their lives. So you have to shut up and listen. Mm. Wow. Because if you don't, if you overtalk them, then you're pushing yourself onto them. And that's not your job. As a parent, your job is to be there as their respite, as a safe place for them to come and unburden themselves without pushing your agenda. That's beautiful. And so you had a close relationship with your own mother, obviously. So was that, did you learn that from her? Was that, did she model that for you? She did, actually. My mother was crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She was an artist, and unfortunately, she was also a functioning alcoholic. Mm. Um, And, but in, in the meantime, as a parent... She would put everything else on the back burner so she could be present in your life. Wow. So, and that was, that was a really hard trick for her to pull off, you know, given her set of circumstances. In the art world, she was sort of rebuffed, um, although she was amazing, and I'm privileged to have her artwork all around me. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a parent, she put, she put her parent hat on. She never rebuked us for much of anything, really. Um, hers, her parenting skills were be quiet, don't burden your children with your own problems, which I unfortunately have done to mine. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go there. <laughs> but she was, she was patient, um, and she listened. She listened, and then she would offer you some salient sage piece of advice that you would never have thought of for yourself. Wow. That's great. Yeah. That's incredible. She was, she was amazing. If um, people were to like try to look her up, is any of her art available online? Can you see it or? No, she died so many years ago. She died before Amanda was born. So she died in 1982. Oh wow. Okay. Um, and her artwork is held by people that commissioned her art. So yeah, there's, there's no compilation of her, of her, beautiful stuff anywhere it's it's (laughs) crazy i I really feel like i always wonder this like how many amazing novels are sitting in some pile in some you know like i mean there's what you said about being rebuffed it's not people say rejected a lot but it's it's different there's just avenues and collectors and people in any form of art so yeah i find that i sympathize a lot with that Um, yeah yeah exactly (laughs) yeah so that's pretty interesting um Okay, so I want to kind of get into the meat and potatoes of the podcast, which is we talk a lot about how our views on death affect the way we live. So I would like to know just straight out, well, what do you think actually happens when you die? 
I actually know. Awesome. Um, <laughs> I was not expecting well, that. <laughs> yeah, it's this is this is a fascinating tale, and it is true to the very core of my being. As my mother lay dying in a hospital room, I sat on her bed with her, held her hands in mine, and felt everybody in her life who had already passed come floating down through my back, down my arms, and into my hands, and into my mother's artist's hands in a beckoning way, saying, it's okay, come on. And it was everybody who loved her, Mike. It was, uh, you know, as I said, I have... I've I've witnessed death before in tragic events, accidents, horrible things. I've witnessed a murder. I never in my life, of all of the people that I have been with who have been suffering under a death, have I ever experienced anything like that. And I probably never will again until I go. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Until my daughter holds my hand and says, go. It's okay. Yeah. I am almost speechless, and thank God I'm good at my job, and so I'm not. But um, <laughs> my first question would be, what do you think would happen if you were, like, dying without your daughter or someone you love to hold your hand? Do you still think that would happen to you? And to oh, everyone? yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yes. I, I am convinced that um, when I think of somebody who has already passed over mm-hmm. or died, whichever vernacular you care to use, um, whenever I think of them, I know that that is a tap on my shoulder from that person saying, hi, I'm still here. That's so beautiful. I, today's the birthday would have been the birthday of one of my closest friends who passed away tragically at like 37, about four years uh, ago. And, uh, uh, I woke up thinking of him. I went on a walk yes. and thought of him. And then I wrote his parents an email and just said, I can't stop thinking about your son. I mean, I think of him almost every day, but what you just said is exactly why I wrote his parents. I got this message uh, that like he wanted me to write them to say, you know, like, yes. Um, and so, yeah, wow. I, I am so infatuated with this, uh, what you said and what you shared. And it, it uh, one time I was on a uh, drug experience and it was ayahuasca and I actually had the strongest vision of my son holding my hand on my deathbed. Oh, I'm sure. It's oh related. Mike. Yeah. So, uh, and, I just uh, got goosebumps. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and I go to that a lot because uh, what happened between me and my ex-wife and my son is, uh, to me, tragic. And it's just been a yes. long story that I don't really share online because uh, for his identity yeah. and his purpose. But yeah, so that Absolutely. image alone has been carrying me through some hard times in my life. And uh, so when you said that, it really all came full circle. So clearly you're not afraid of death. And uh, you mentioned very casually that you've seen a lot of death and you've witnessed a murder. I have to ask about the murder just because... That's too big of a topic. Oh, for this. Um, uh, well, <laughs> I, I was actually on my way to look at some furniture with a friend of mine, and I saw this taxi cab driving completely erratically down a street, very busy intersection, five-way intersection, if you can believe it. Huh. And uh, I thought, oh, dear God, something's wrong. So I pulled over, and I got my cell phone out, and I said to my friend, I said, you call the police. And I'm going down. So this, the vehicle actually, huh, amazingly, went through five intersections. And I saw, as he was going, I saw a guy exit the back of the vehicle, of the taxi, with a gun in his hand. Mm. And I thought, oh, uh-oh. And I ran 
like crazy down to the now crashed car and opened the driver's side to find the taxi cab driver who had been shot. Um, and he was, he was a young man. Uh, he was not from this country and he was sending money back to his family. And I was the last person that he saw. And Mike, I have to tell you, I mean, I've, I've, I've rescued people out of airplanes. I've rescued people out of motorcycle wrecks. Uh, you name it. Yeah, I, I've, who are I've, you? <laughs> this is amazing. I, I've been, I've, well, let's see, but see, there's part of my spirituality. I, God put me in certain situations because I knew what to do. I agree. That's a, wow. Instinctively. So that's a God touch um, on my shoulder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, hey, you, get busy. Fix this. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> if you can. So at any rate, I, I actually had to seek professional help to get this young man's face out of my brain. I can barely see him now, but it was so bad that I would go to work. I'd be sitting at my computer and I could see his face wow. wherever I went. It was awful. So, yeah. Um, yeah, they he shot him through the back. Uh, wow. And I stayed right with him. So you've also rescued people from planes and everything. I mean, is there any other stories you think? Because, again, the point of telling these stories isn't just, like, I know you're not, I'm asking you, first of all, but I, I want to know just because I think the more people hear these, the more they start to feel that touch, that touch from God or spirit or whatever they want to call it. So right. were any of these others, oh. like, equally uh, poignant in that way? Well, there was a, a man, the, the first, the first, I'm also fairly prescient. I know things that are going to happen, and, and then they happen. And I was in a drugstore, and I saw this man and his son, old, a grown son, and little children, obviously, belonging to the son. And I thought, man, that guy's obese. That the grandfather is just really big. It's just, like, tall and huge. And I thought, oh, that's not, he doesn't look good. So I walked to the back of the pharmacy, and and all of a sudden, I heard this commotion, crashing, and I thought, that's it. That, he just hit the deck. He's dead. And I went over to him, and everybody else was just, like, panicked. They didn't know what to do. They weren't touching him. They weren't trying to help him. And the son was apoplectic. He didn't know what to do. And I told pharmacy tech, I said, get him away with his children while I try to help. And, of course, I mean, I looked at the the, the, the dad, the the grandfather, and he was already cyanotic. You know, you could see it in his face, his pallor. I checked his body for a nitroglycerin pack, which I found on his leg. I don't know why. I don't, I'm not. I'm not, not medically even, inclined. Yeah. This is, but but do you, but this is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. This is this is God. This is goddess. This is spirit. This is universe. This is the culmination of human experience rolled into one big tap on the shoulder and you're it and he the, the man died which is unfortunate because yeah, we did yeah. we did cpr on him for 20 minutes before the medics got there and he was already dead so which is terrible but yeah mm-hmm. no yeah i mean i just everything you're saying it begs me to ask you like you seem you seem confident in a way that i like not in a way that's arrogant um that you kind of get you get it. You get why this happens to you. You get, I love the phrasing you said, um, in certain situations because I instinctually knew what to do. And so there's something going on with like instinct and spirit. And so I'm curious, um, 
because, you know, we just talked about art and like your mother making art and like, I'm an artist and I know you're a writer and an artist. So what is the meaning of life? Is it to like produce art or is it to like heed the call of God's tapping on your shoulder? Is it both? What is your, your, what would you say? That's a tough one. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I think it's D, all of the above. I think when you create for others pleasure and enjoyment that you are, you are a, an instrument of the universe and you're reaching out. When I was in theater, the only thing I ever wanted to do was make my audience feel those words. Mm -hmm. I wanted them to be wholly empathic and pick up on the nuances of words. Words are terribly important, and you can paint with words, Mm -hmm. as you well know. Um, I'm speaking to someone with far more expertise than I. But it's just, I think the creation is, is part of a holiness, and you can call it Buddhism or Zen or whatever you want to say. I, I just think it's part of the intrinsic purpose of humans is to create, not to destroy, not to bludgeon, not to, not to hurt, but to create something that is uplifting for other people, including yourself. I mean, you have to get some joy out of it or, or you need to put your paintbrushes down, you know. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. So, so yeah, I, that's what I think. That's just my, you know, my humble opinion. No, and it's, it struck a chord with me, and I love the phrasings. I've written down a lot of your quotes today. Um, I do this often when I interview because it helps me stay focused, but I'm actually going to, like, keep them. I'm going to put them somewhere. Because, <laughs> but um, my main question right now would be, in these years of listening to others, in these years of helping others, in these years of learning non-judgment, um, is there anything like is sin real is is there um if humans do bludgeon destroy and destruct things like is that a sin or is is it okay is everything okay no i think it's definitely a sin against the universe Mm -hmm. i i don't think there's any equivocation on that at all if you're ambiguous about whether you when you harm somebody if you're ambiguous ambiguous about that harm then you need to look in the mirror long and hard and figure out why you've done this to someone else. And that's, I'm still learning that, Mike. I'm at 70, and so I have done harm. And that, that, that cuts right through my core. That, that's just, you know, I, I, to me, when you harm people or harm animals or harm plants or harm the environment, you got problems, you got real big problems. And I'm the first one to say, God, I'm, I stepped on your toes. I'm sorry. Yeah. If I know what I've done, then I can address it. I'm a need-to-know kind of gal. You know, I, I know how my car works. Yeah. <laughs> and I can only say, mea culpa. Yeah. I'm sorry. I've, I've done something to you, and I will figure it out. And when I do figure it out, we will have a nice, long chin wag. And so I guess with all of your spirituality – do you ever like try to converse with God, with the spirit? Do you ever try to ask for help? All the time. <laughs> <laughs> and so to what effect? What are, does that ever work? I mean, Yeah, it hasn't come to fruition. But I'll tell you what, Mike, your invitation to be part of your podcast has been the most uplifting experience I've had in two years. Wow. Holy <laughs> I did not expect that either. <laughs> and I've had writer's block. I've had nothing to say for two, two years you know, until very recently. 
So it's it's slowly emerging again. Speaking of shoulder tapping in the universe, I've always thought you were by far my most special friend slash um, correspondent. And it's just because how we met and how we started talking was pretty uh, random to me, but also not random in that way. So... See, that's that's the universe at work, Mike. Yeah. And I'm I'm near tears. I I feel so honored that you said that about me in our relationship. I just yeah. yeah. No, my wife and my parents. I'm, I'm, like, I'm going to cry here in a minute. So <laughs> my wife and my parents know of you because I'll you know I'll say like, oh, Mary wrote me this nice or you know I'll mention you a lot. So it's cool. Um, and we are wrapping up. <laughs> so I do want to give you a last chance to kind of just have the floor speak your philosophy because you're full of love and you're full of um, gratitude and appreciation. But in general, is there something you want to leave our audience with? Yes. And they are the words of the bard. To thine own self be true, lest they prove false to any man. That in that sums up religion. It sums up philosophy. It sums up the universe. You have to maintain truth in yourself or you're lying to everything around you. Without the truth, you have no God or spirit. Wow, that was incredible. (laughs) Mary Floyd from Atlanta, Georgia, I want to thank you for helping us put another nail in the coffin. Uh, This has been another episode of Coffin Talk, Exit Interviews with the Living. Once again, I am Mike Oppenheim, and we will see you soon. Walking alone Walking alone When I hear this song and I'm walking alone Walking alone when I walk into you And I see that you see me And I see you hear this tune And I feel that you're near me And I see